this morning. Before we get into the Psalms this morning, I want to let you know about a new resource that has come in for you. We journey through Ephesians. We provide you what we call the Scripture Journal. If you remember this, it was a small, just print out of the, just the book of Ephesians with a place to make notes and prayers and just comments that you think you thought about in that. They finally come in for Psalms. And so it's a pretty thick book, but it's available for you. What this is is every Psalm, but just the Psalms, so it's about the size of your Bible, the Psalms on one side, and there's a blank page next to it where you can put prayers, reflections, sermon notes if you want to use it for that, whatever would be a tool for you. A lot of you, when we did this with Ephesians, commented how helpful that was for you, for your devotions, for just making sermon notes, whatever else. I'm excited to let you know we have those for the Psalms. When these got printed about six months ago and first published, the publisher sold more than they imagined. We've been trying for about a month and a half to get them in, so we'd have them for the series, and they finally have arrived this week. So if you'd like one when you leave today, there's a big stack on the back. Mike Mertz is sitting back there and can help you get one. They're also in the resource center in the hall. And if you will use it, there's no cost for you. We want to provide that for you. Don't let it sit on your shelf, but if you'll use this as a tool to help you study the Psalms, we walk through the Psalms now through December, it's free for you, either in the back or in the hallway today. And I hope that'll be a great resource for you. I want you to find Psalm number 19 in your copy of God's Word or in your Bible app today. Psalm number 19. This is our fourth week in our journey through the Psalms. If you think about just the variety of emotion, the variety of truth we've seen in the first three weeks of the Psalms. We've seen Psalm 1, a wisdom psalm, where we saw that God delights in giving us grace. And we're to delight in knowing Him in response. We saw in our second week a lament psalm, a psalm dealing with suffering and pain, crying out to God in pain. And we saw from that one that God never promised that life would be easy. But he invites us to come to him and find peace. And there in Psalm 3, we saw this promise of peace in the hardships of life. In our third week, last week, we saw a praise psalm where the psalmist is crying out to God just in worship and adoration. And we saw last week as David was looking up at the skies and he saw how big God was and how small we are and how that leads us to live amazed. We'll go much deeper into all those themes and many more in the months to come. But before we do, we want to come to something very foundational in the Psalms today. And that's the question of how do we know these things are true? How do we know for certainty that God does give grace? How do we know for sure that we really can know God? How do we know for sure that life will, in fact, have trials? How do we know with confidence that there's peace in the midst of our sufferings and trials? How do we learn of the greatness of God? How do we have confidence that God really will care for us? What is the confidence of the author to know beyond a shadow of a doubt everything that he's been recording for us is true? And what is our confidence as well that everything we're seeing is in fact true and something that we can bank on? So this week and next we want to look at really the foundation of the Psalms. How the psalmist knows for certainty all these things being recorded for us and how we can as well. So this morning, before we even get to the scripture, I want to give you the main idea that I want you to look for. This is at the heart of the Psalms, and I believe this is at the heart of all of scripture. And it's simply this. Be amazed, God has spoken to us. Be amazed, God has spoken to us. This morning, as we come to Psalm 19, King David is writing a poem. This is another Psalm of David. It's a Psalm to be sung. It's a poem he's writing to be put to music. And King David is reflecting in amazement. That God, who we saw last week, is self-sufficient. 
needs absolutely nothing. The God who is eternal has no beginning and no end. The God who is all-powerful can, at the sound of his voice, create a billion trillion stars and spin the universe into existence. The God who is everywhere, who's omnipresent. The God who is all-powerful. The God who is the creator of all things. This God has actually spoken to us. As we read Psalm 19, I want us to see the amazement that David has at this truth. And I want us to be amazed as well. And I want you to look for, particularly in Psalm 19, this question. How has God spoken to us? How has God spoken to us? And how does that truth change us? As David reflects in amazement that this all-powerful creator would speak to us, his people, let's look for how he's spoken to us and how that truth changes us. So as we come to Psalm 19, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Psalm 19, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, and if you're visiting, the words are also on the screen for you. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that you've given us your word. God, that you've not hidden yourself from us. God, you've spoken, you've revealed yourself to us. And God, I pray today we would treasure that truth that you might, through your Holy Spirit at work in each of our hearts, apply your word to our lives, that we might have a fresh sense of awe and amazement, that you, the all-powerful God, have, in fact, spoken to us. And I pray it would change us, Lord, that it would transform us as we realize this incredible truth. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I want you to see this morning that God has, in fact, spoken to us. This is incredible. This is profound. This is huge that God has not hidden himself from us. He has chosen to reveal himself to us. So how has God revealed himself to us? How is God speaking to us? Well, the psalmist gives two different ways. In fact, some people actually think that this was two separate psalms that got put together. I don't think so. This whole psalm is one psalm about God speaking and two ways that he has done that so we can know him. How is God speaking to us? The first thing King David shows is that God speaks through his creation. God speaks through his creation. Look at verse 1 again. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
Now, we see in the Psalms this idea of parallelism. This is poetry. Parallelism means that you have an idea repeated more than once in very similar form but with different words to make a point. And that's exactly what's happening here. It's not two ideas in verse 1. It's one idea just in parallel form here. We're told that the heavens and the sky... This is referring to God's creation, that all that God's spoken to existence. As David's looking up on the vastness of the universe, the heavens and the sky do something. And what do they do? There's two words here. The heavens declare, the sky proclaims. So God's creation declares, it proclaims. Perhaps you want to think of it, it shouts out something to us. When we look at God's creation, it shouts out something to each one of us. What's so interesting here is the word for declare and the word for proclaim is in the present ongoing tense. So you can literally translate this, the heavens declare and keep on declaring. The skies proclaim and keep on proclaiming. God's creation is constantly doing something for us. And what is it doing here? It is declaring, it's proclaiming the glory of God. His handiwork, all that he has made is showcasing, is proclaiming, is shouting out to us the glory of God. The glory of God is his brilliance, his the beauty of his presence, his nature, his character, that creation is constantly shouting out at us, there is a glorious God, look to him. And it never stops reminding us that he is there. Look at verse 2. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. This idea of continuous, it doesn't matter if it's you're outside at night looking at the stars, if you're in the middle of the day looking out upon the trees and the mountains, if you're looking at the food on your plate, if you're looking at the blue sky, say whatever it is, there's a constant reminder right before your eyes that God has put there to speak to you, to remind you of who he is. And it's not just for us, it's for the whole world. Look at verses 3 and 4. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun. God has given to all of humanity, no matter where you are in the world, this reminder that there is a God and that he is glorious. But the sobering reality is that most in the world reject that truth. Most in the world ignore it. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 20 remind us of this. It tells us, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and the unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, and notice this phrase, they suppress the truth. They're pushing down something that they should be able to see and know. And what is it? Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It should be clear. It should be obvious. Why? Because God has shown it to them. God has spoken to the world. God has shown the world that he is there and he is glorious. Now notice verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God's creation is speaking to all of humanity, saying, look up, this didn't just happen. There is a God who made all this, and this God is powerful. He's, he has a divine nature. Someone has made all of this. But the humanity, all of us, by nature, suppress that truth. But for those of us who follow God, who God has opened our eyes to see who he is, who's given us faith to believe in him, when we look at creation, it does do something to us. It proclaims to us that he is there. In this worldless speech, when you look at the stars, when you look at the mountains, when you look at the beauty of the sky today or the trees, there's no words you have to hear. This creation itself is proclaiming to you that God is there, that God is big, that God is glorious, and God is all powerful. He's speaking to us through what he has made. And what is he saying again? Go back to verse 1 of Psalm 19. The heavens declare 
the glory of God. He's showing us what we saw last week, that he is big, that he is glorious. But there's one other thing that creation shouts out to us, and it's so interesting here it's in the psalm. The creation also reminds us that God is faithful. That God is faithful. Where do we get this from? Look at verses 4 and 5 here. When David starts talking about this, the sun here, the very last part of verse 4, he says, In them, in the creation, he has set a tent for the sun. Verse 5, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. And maybe going, what in the world is this talking about? Why in the world is the sun being described as a bridegroom running out of his chamber? This is an, simply a metaphor, an image to remind us of how bright the sun is, how glorious the sun is in its, all of its brightness. But it goes on to say that the sun is like a strong man running its course. The image here for us is the sun is always going to finish the course. It's always going to do what it's supposed to do. It cannot be stopped. And that's where it goes on with the image in verse 6. Notice this. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. So what is this image supposed to do to us? What's this image all about? Why is David honing in on the sun here? Well, friends, have you ever at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, when it's 95 degrees out with 99% humidity, and you're sweating and it's miserable, have you ever been afraid that the earth was going to stop spinning and the sun was going to sit there blaring down on you at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and never move again? And forever we're going to be trapped at 3 p.m. on a summer afternoon in Alabama. Have you ever been afraid of that? No. Why? Because God has ordained the patterns of the heavens and the sun rises and sets every single day all year long. Have you ever been afraid we'll get stuck in summer and we will never, ever get to another season? No, because God is faithful and the seasons regularly do what they're supposed to do. Have you ever worried today that the sun might not give off heat? No, none of you brought a winter coat today, unless you're worried about the temperature of the sanctuary. But you know, beyond that, you didn't pack a winter coat because... You're not worried about that. You got up this morning. You knew the sun would give off heat. You knew the sun would give off light. You knew that tonight, about 8 o'clock, the sun would go down and get dark again. Why? Because the sun is faithful. It always runs its course. And that's to be a reminder that God has set before us that he is faithful. The creations declare his glory. Even the pattern of the sun, the fact that we don't fear whether it's going to give off heat today. We don't fear if it's going to rise or set. All those are reminders to us to proclaim to us that God himself is there that God is faithful. Friends, it's incredible that when we want to be reminded of who God is, we can walk outside and look at God's creation, and he speaks to us without words of his character, of his existence. But as amazing as that is, it gets even more amazing because God speaks to us not just through creation, but he speaks to us specifically with words. And that's the second thing the psalmist highlights here is that God speaks to us through his written word. Through the scriptures, you might call it. Look back at verses 7 through 9. Again, it's not disjointed. He's, he's looking at God speaking through creation. Then he immediately goes to God speaking through his word. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. What you have in verses 7 through 9 are six different phrases, but all telling us one thing. And this is parallelism. The psalmist is repeating an idea over and over again. He uses six nouns in these three verses. He calls something the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the rules of the Lord. Now, there's some nuanced differences we can get into if we want to in that. 
But it's all one idea. This is all about the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord here is a broad term that means all that God has spoken. These are the words of God that have been put down in written form for us. Every single one of these words, law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear, rules, are words that come out of the first five books of the Bible, what are called the Pentateuch. And this would be something that the Jewish people would quickly hear and the audience would quickly realize were terms for God's written rules for us, his written words to us. And David is using these terms to show us that God has spoken to us through his word that's been written down for us. And to make sure we don't miss us, the actual words of God, there's one phrase in these verses that gets repeated over and over again that's not changed. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. This expression we've seen in the Psalms already. The word Lord here, when it's capitalized, is Yahweh. His revealed name, his covenant name, his personal name. And David's trying to drive home to us when we open our Bibles, when we open God's written word for us, we are reading the very words of Yahweh. We are reading the very words of the God of covenant faithfulness. We are reading the very words of our creator. We're reading the very words of the great I am. It's so important for us. It's not just here in the Psalms. The New Testament picks it up in several places. Just one place we see that, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. In this beautiful passage, we're told that all Scripture is breathed out by God. The word for Scripture in the Greek there is the Greek word graphe, meaning writings. All of the writings. The writings of what? The writings of the words of God. All of Scripture, all of the written words of God for us, they are breathed out by God. Some of your translations say they are inspired. The Greek word there, theopneustos, is fascinating Because it literally means breath. So if you hold your hand in front of your mouth and you say something, you feel the warm breath coming out. If you're ever super close to your spouse and you're talking to them and you feel their breath while they're talking, that's the image for us. The scripture is literally the breath of God, that he has spoken to us his words. And when we hear, when we read the words of the Bible, we're reading the very breathed out words of God. We are hearing his voice. And because they are the words of Yahweh, we can trust them. God who is holy, who is perfect, who is true only speaks what is perfect and holy and true. Back in Psalm 19 verses 7 through 9 there's all these different descriptions of what God's word is like. We're told it's perfect. It's sure. In verse 8 we're told it's right and it's pure. In verse 9 we're told it's clean and it's true. And all these are in parallel to tell us the perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true word of God. His word's are always right. They are always perfect. Everything that he says is true. But one thing I don't want us to miss, all these words of God are ultimately pointing us to Jesus. They're ultimately pointing us to Jesus. This was written in the Old Testament. The Messiah had not come. David is longing for the Messiah who will come to rescue God's people. He has faith that God will do what God has promised. But we're on the other side of history now. And so, friends, whether we're in the Old Testament or read the New Testament, it's ultimately words of God to show us who Jesus is. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. This is an incredible text. Long ago, and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, those who've gone before us, by the prophets. Now, verse 2. But in these last days, that's the period now, the time we're living in, the time since Christ came until he returns. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, He's spoken to us by Jesus. And you notice the phrase, he's spoken to us. He's revealing himself to us. God is showing us who he is through Jesus, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Then verse 3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word, the speech here, the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Friends, all of scripture is pointing us back to Jesus. Friends, do you think about this? When David wrote this long before the Messiah come, not even all that we have in the Old Testament had been recorded yet. David is celebrating here the fact God has spoken. Realize how much more has been spoken to us since David. If David treasured the written word of God, what he had, think of how much more written revelation of God we have now. How much more has been entrusted to us that now we know who the Messiah is. Now we have so much more of the prophets. Now we have all the New Testament, the testimony of the early church, the writings to the churches, revelation of what the end times is going to be like. All this has been given to us because it's all pointing to Jesus. Friends, God has not hidden himself from us. He's actively revealing himself to us in creation showing us he's there, showing us how big he is, showing us his glory, showing us his faithfulness. He's revealing himself to us. He's speaking to us in his written word to show us who the Messiah is who purifies us from our sins, who the Messiah is who rescues, who the Messiah is so that we see Jesus, we can see the nature of God. Friends, we need to be amazed that the all-powerful God who spoke and a billion trillion stars came into existence is the same God who speaks to you and me today, shouting out through his creation, shouting out to us through his written words so that we might know him and we could experience hearing his voice. Be amazed God has spoken to us. Now that raises two huge questions for us to wrestle with. The first one is this, am I listening? God has spoken to us. The one who spoke, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, the one who spoke the world of being, the one who spoke and we have written words of him to say. The, one, the God who speaks is speaking to us. Are we listening? Friends, think for a minute. If your favorite athlete came to talk to you, your favorite entertainer, your favorite hero, your favorite politician, if there is such a thing, if you had someone come to you who you respected, who was a hero to you, and they sat down face-to-face with you right now and began to talk to you, would you listen to them? If the person who you admired so much, who was your hero, your role model, your favorite entertainer, favorite athlete to watch, sat down with you in the chair next to you and started talking to you where you could almost feel their breath because they're right there, would that be drudgery to have to listen to what they said to you? Would you find yourself scrolling through your phone or looking off in the distance, dozing off while they're talking to you? Would you be eagerly listening, excited, focused, because this person that you've adored from a distance for forever is sitting right there next to you? Friends, the reality is Yahweh, the creator, the great I am, the almighty God, the triune God, the Alpha and the Omega is speaking to us. Are we looking at his creation? Are we so distracted by all the things we have and the technology we have that we miss the beauty he's put out there to shout out to us day by day, I am here and I am big and I will be faithful to you. But even more so, he's speaking to us through his word. He's given us his very breath, his very words, and put them in written form so there's no confusion, no misunderstanding, no wondering what God, God's will for us is. He's put it in writing right before our eyes. And we have copies all over our house, copies all over the church building, apps on our phone. We can find it anywhere we go. And the creator, Yahweh, is speaking to us saying, hey, come read my words to you. I'm speaking to you. Come read it. Are we eager to do so? Look at verse 10 of Psalm 19, how David describes 
his heart's response to the written word of God. It says, more to be desired are they. What's the they? The law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the fear, the rules. More to be desired are these things, the written word of God, than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Friends, this is an image of delight. This is an image of eagerness. You know, if someone came up to you and said, hey, I've got a lot of gold I don't want anymore and I'd like to give it to you. Could you drive to my house this afternoon and come get it? I don't think any of you would be like, yeah, that's really nice of you, but I was really planning on going to the gym to play racquetball today. No, like, I know that would be really convenient, but, you know, I was planning on eating breakfast at Chick-fil-A. I can't get your gold. No, we'd be like, sure, where's your address? I'll be right there. That sounds amazing before you change your mind. That eagerness we'd have if someone gives us gold, look at what David says, more to be desired are they, the written word of God, than gold even much fine gold. We should have more excitement and eagerness to open the word of God, to read God's words than we would have if someone offered us gold. Look at the last part of that verse. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Can I do a, more of a dynamic translation of this verse for us and contemporize it a little bit here? Sweeter the word of God should be than if someone came before him and put a chocolate brownie with vanilla ice cream and hot fudge and caramel all over and sat it before you. That might be my modern paraphrase of this the verse. If someone sets before you this afternoon at lunch a chocolate brownie with vanilla ice cream with caramel and chocolate syrup, they're not going to have to twist my arm to eat it. It would look amazing. My mouth would start salivating. Already is it the thought of all that chocolate right before me. And he is saying to us, the fact that the creator, that Yahweh, the great I am, has spoken to us should be more desirable. We should be more excited about reading that than even the sweetest chocolate dessert on earth that you could imagine. It's the image David is trying to get us to have. We should desire, we should delight, we should be eager and hungry for God's words to us. God has spoken. Are we listening? Friends, can I suggest this morning, if we're not eager to listen to the written word of God, we're not really amazed that he's spoken. Amazement leads to action. If we really had got our minds around the fact that the all-powerful creator has spoken to us, how could we not help but want to open his word and read it. I wonder sometimes if some reason why the word of God is so dry in a lot of our lives at different seasons is because we've lost amazement at the bigness of God that we saw last week and that he has, in fact, spoken to us. God has spoken. Be amazed by that. Are we listening? But the second question I think this begs of us is a simple question. Is God's word changing me? Is God's word changing me? If we realize that God has spoken, If we are amazed that he has revealed himself to us, and if we are listening, it will change us. As we read through verses 7 through 9, there was a phrase at the end of each one to help us see just a glimpse of some ways that God's word changes us. It's not an exhaustive list, but it just gives us a glimpse, a picture that David's painting of what happens if we're amazed that God has spoken. If we read his word with eagerness, if we're listening to him, what happens in our hearts? Look back at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Friends, the word of God changes. It revives our soul. It's an image of it refreshing us. It restores us. How? Because the word of God shows us who God is. The word of God reminds us of what God has done for us. The word of God proclaims to us his promises. It shows us the hope we have. And so even in the hard days, even in the trials and suffering, we open the word of God and it refreshes us because it shows us God. Look at what else it does. Verse 7. The testimony of the word is sure, making wise the simple. The word of God helps us know how to live moment 
by moment. It makes us wise. It gives us wisdom. How? Because it shows us God's will. And very plainly in black and white before our eyes shows us God's path for our lives. It shows us clearly what godliness looks like and what sins to run away from. It makes us wise. It changes us, but it does even more. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Joy, we've said before, is a deep contentment. Joy is not circumstantial. You can have deep joy in the worst of trials and sufferings. Deep Joy is deep in our heart. How does the Word of God give us joy in the hard days? It shows us eternity. The Word of God focuses on how God uses trials now for His glory and for His good. It shows us His faithfulness. Just as the sun is going to rise and set today, just as the afternoon heat is not going to be here all day, but it will cool off tonight because it always happens. The faithfulness of God is held up for us. We go to the Word of God and it rejoices our heart by showing us God's faithfulness. Look in verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It enlightens our eyes. It gives us understanding and discernment. How? Because the Word of God shows us our identity in Christ. It shows us how God views us. It shows us how God wants us to see the world. It enlightens our eyes. But there's more. Look at verse 11. What else? How does the Word of God change us? It also warns us. Look at the first part of verse 11. Moreover, by them, the Word of God, is your servant warned. God changes us through His Word. It warns us. It protects us from dangerous paths by showing us what sin is, by showing us the danger of sin, by showing us how God views sin, by showing us the freedom that there can be from sin strongholds in our lives. As we listen to those warnings, verse 11, in keeping them, there is great reward. We see that how it changes us, how it transforms us. But David mentions one other thing the Word of God does for us to change us here. And this is good, oh so good, but oh so painful at the same time. Look at verses 12 and 13, because the Word of God also confronts us in our sin. The Word of God confronts us in our sin. Look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Friends, the Word of God changes because it confronts us in our sin. I wonder sometimes that's why we run away from reading it and studying it and meditating it because it makes us uncomfortable because it convicts us and God changes us through it. The Word of God shows us how great our sinfulness is. And in fact, it shows us our sinfulness is so great, David has to say, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent in my hidden faults. He's saying, God, I can do the best I can to confess my sins and I am so evil on the inside apart from you that there's sins I don't even know I have that I've committed that you see. The Word of God searches us and shows us our great, great sinfulness, even sins we don't understand in all this. And yet the Word of God shows us the great forgiveness we have. Just as David can cry out to God for freedom from his sins and to be seen blameless by God because of forgiveness, the Word of God not only confronts us in our sins, but changes us in this. Because the Word of God revives our soul, makes us wise, rejoices our heart, it enlightens our eyes, it endures forever, it warns us, it gives reward, it confronts us in our sin, and so much more. Because it is the Word of God changing me, and is it changing you? God didn't give us the Word of God so we could check off a box in our to-do list for the week I did my devotions. He didn't give us His Word just for theological speculation. He gave us His Word so that we could hear His voice, so we could know Him in Christ, and so we could be changed by Him. We saw over and over in our study of the Gospel of John two years ago that true belief in Christ is being transformed by Him. If we really believe it's being transformed, and He transforms us as the Holy Spirit within us applies the Word of God to our life and makes us more into who He wants us to be. 
So with that in view, I want to read just three verses of Psalm 19 together. So just listen to these together, just the big picture, I think, of the whole psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And then, moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there's great reward. Friends, be amazed. God, the Almighty, has spoken to us. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have awe and wonder in your soul that God has spoken to you? Do you have that sense of awe and wonder that we saw last week of the bigness of God, but now let's take that a step further. Do we have awe and wonder, not just that God is so big and we're small, but this big God has spoken to small us. That he's spoken through his creation. Do you, when you look at the blue sky, I'm looking out the windows behind you, I see the sky and the clouds and the green trees. Do you look at all that and does your heart begin to leap for joy because you see the glory of God on display? When you see the sun rising and sun setting, do you see the faithfulness of God? Is, is his creation speaking to you? And do you have awe that he reminds you that every day in his grace he's giving you visual reminders of his nature and his character? But even more so, friends, do you have awe and wonder that he has loved us so much. That he's not left himself a mystery to us, but he has spoken and had it written down so we have his very true, very perfect words in written form right before so that we can read them and understand who he is. Friends, this morning, if you're all in wonder the fact that God has spoken to you is getting cold, would you pray, just simply pray and ask God for more grace, for him to stir your heart affections for him? Because if we don't, if we just try to just, I'm going to discipline myself more and do more Bible reading, we're going to fall short again because that's just drudgery. But can you ask God for grace upon grace to where your affections for him, your wonder at him, your amazement for him is stirred anew? And as he does that, friends, our hunger for the word of God will just flow the more we're amazed at who he is and the fact that he has spoken. And if you're at a place today where You've been reading the word of God. It's coming alive to you. Rejoice and thank God. This is what King David does in the very last verse when he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. He's saying, my reflections on your word. He's worshiping God in response to what God has done in his heart towards God's word. Thank him as you find your affections and awe and wonder that God has spoken increasing. Thank God and praise God just like David did. And you have awe and wonder in your soul knowing that God has revealed himself to you. The second of all, I want to ask you, how has God's word been changing you? Is there anything in the last week or two to where because of God's word being before you, your soul has found fresh life in the midst of things? You found wisdom you need for the path you're on. You found joy in the midst of a trial. You found new understanding of the character of God. You found fresh conviction of sin. You found hope that your sins are forgiven. What has changed in your life because you've encountered the voice of God in the last two weeks? And friends, if, you, if God brings something to mind, thank him for that. It's his grace and his mercy that he's spoken to, it, to us and, he uses it, and his Holy Spirit uses it to change us. But if you're at a place to when you think over the last week or two and you can't think of one way God's word has changed you, either because you've been reading it out of just a sense of discipline or duty or because you're not reading it, as we stand to see this moment, would you cry out to God and say, God, you've given me your word and I'm neglecting it. Would you in your grace increase my affections for you, increase my amazement you? I want to hear your word. I want to be changed by you. And use our closing time to just ask God to do that. Friends, we saw three weeks ago in someone, God delights to give grace. And when his children cry out to him in honesty, we don't have to, and this is the beauty of the songs, we don't have to hide anything from God. God knows if we've been listening to his word or not. 
God knows if, we, if we're being changed by his word or not. So we don't have to put on pretense and stuff and act all spiritual. and right. We can say, God, I'm your child, but God, I've really not been listening to you lately. Change me. God, I've been reading your word, but I'm not really get, getting much out of it. I'm not really changing. Change me. Speak to me. Let your Holy Spirit bring your word alive to me. Let's just use this time to cry out to the Lord and ask for his grace upon grace that he delights to give so that we find fresh amazement at the fact that he has, in fact, spoken to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we rejoice this day at your kindness to us. God, that you have not only taken us who deserve nothing but your wrath and your judgment because we've all sinned against you and sinned in ways much deeper than we realize. And you've looked upon us sinners and you've given us mercy. And you've given us new life in Christ. You've drawn us to yourself. You've shown us the gospel. You've shown us what Christ did and you've put faith in our hearts. You've put belief in our hearts and you've put new life in us. But Father, as incredible as that is, You've given us your word. You've spoken to us and you continue to speak to us. You remind us daily, Lord, you shout to us of how great and big you are. You've given us access to your word that we might know you and be changed by you. Lord, would you forgive us for how little we delight in and feast on your word? God, in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, would you so this week stir our appetites for you? Increase our affections for you that we can say like King David said here, that Lord, your word to me is more desirable than much gold. God, that your word to me is sweeter than that sweetest dessert I could possibly imagine right now. God, would you in your kindness and your grace do what we can't do, and that stir our affections for you. God, we can't manufacture these things, but your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, your children, can change our desires, change our affections, change our sights to look upon you. So God, we are crying out right now for grace upon grace upon grace find our hearts stirred supernaturally to the things of you, to find our longings to turn from food and gold and the things of this world to you, to knowing you. And the only way we'll know you is we read your word and your Holy Spirit who dwells within us makes your word come alive. So God, would you look upon us, your children this week and see us in our weakness and our sin and our point of need. And Lord, draw us close to you. Would you transform us this week, Lord, for any brother or sister here with a stronghold of sin in their life that they just haven't been able to shake? I pray this week, Lord, that as they go to your word, your Holy Spirit would so bring conviction that they would find freedom they never found before. Or for the brother or sister here who's in the midst of the trials and the sufferings and just really struggling right now. God, this week, would they open your word expectantly and would your word so come alive to them that their soul would be refreshed, their soul would be revived, their soul would be filled with joy. Lord, for all of us, Lord, you know where each one of us is at right now. God, you see us and you love us. We're your children. And so I pray right now that this week for all of us, regardless whether it's a good week or a tough week, whether it's a season of ease or a season of difficulty and pain, God, that this week you would stir all of our hearts to open your word, that our souls would be revived and refreshed in your presence this week as we open up your word. And God, you will get all the glories. You do what only you can do, revealing yourself to us and transforming us as we meet with you. And Lord, we know we'll find the joy, the refreshment, the wisdom, everything we need in the process. Lord, would you do that this week for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?